Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this book club episode of the Stronger Minds podcast. The October book was Brain Changer by Professor Felice Jacker. And Felice was kind enough to give me some of her time at the end of a very successful ISNPR conference and joins me here for a live Q&A where she answered some audience questions. I really hope you enjoy it. All right, so we'll just give it a couple of seconds for people to arrive. Um, but I'm here... Well, you should all know who I'm here with because you've read the book this month, this, this month's book club. This is Professor Felice Jacker, and you'll also know her from previous episodes of the podcast. Um, <laughs> when we had way too much fun. <laughs> and I've literally grabbed her fresh from the ISNPR conference. People are still making their way out. People are waiting for her in the bar, so I'm very, <laughs> <laughs> very, very grateful for you joining me. Oh, it's just um, been wonderful having you here with us at the conference. We've just had such a blast, and having fantastic. you here has just been great. And uh, dinner last night at Ironmongers Hall was wonderful, beautiful. It was really, really beautiful. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to actually talk about your book in the context of this meeting, in the context mm. of uh, nutritional psychiatry mm. as a field, and then to answer some questions that you guys have already sent in for us. Thank you very much. So maybe while people are still arriving, we kick off with that. So Andrea's just said lovely book. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's great. So how did the book come about? Mm. Why did you decide to write a book about nutrition for mental health? And yeah. ISNPR, what, what is it all about? So back way back in the early 2000s, I sort of um, accidentally came into psychiatry research, became interested in researching the effect of uh, diet or the relationship of diet to mental health, chronic mental health uh, and, you know, common mental disorders, which is depression and anxiety. I set out and I did my PhD looking at this and then I did more and more research and um there was an agent, a literary agent in Australia. This is not unusual when you start to publish stuff that gets into the media and people start to get very interested. And, of course, people are really interested in this because everybody eats and everybody has a brain. Um, and she came to me and her husband was actually a child and adolescent psychiatrist. So he had been very interested in the work that I was doing with the adolescent data and children. And she said, would you like to write a book? And I said, no, not yet because... <laughs> It's too soon. We need more than just associations. We need interventions where we can actually make recommendations from the evidence. Mm -hmm. um, and scientific evidence and scientific rigour is really, really important to me. And then, of course, in 2013, uh, so I finished my PhD in 2009. 
2013, um, I helped to set up the, the International Society for Nutritional Psychiatry Research. Um, so we, it arose out of a meeting that we had in, um, in Tokyo with a couple of the members who were mm-hmm. here. And the point with the ISNPR is to try and get other people, other scientists working on this and uh, to also make sure that the research that we're doing is really rigorous so that we've got evidence-based uh, recommendations for people. Mm-hmm. And so that has tracked along the International Society for Nutritional Psychiatry Research or the ISMPR. We had our first meeting in Washington in 2017 and that was great. Uh, And this is the second one and this has been amazing. We've doubled the number of people coming along and just the state of the science and and having so many people working on this now where before Mm. I felt like it was just me and maybe a couple of other people and these little locations around the world and now we've got all these people doing it and really robust discussions about okay so what do we know what don't we know Mm -hmm. which is a lot yeah uh you know how do we improve our methods so that we are more sure about what we know uh so that's been amazing but the book really came out of that you know such a strong public interest and um i set up the food and mood center in 2017 in australia and my team's now grown to be more than 20 people we have more than 20 projects underway but i wanted a website where we had evidence-based information in terms that anyone could read and understand um so that's been very helpful. But then I thought, well, if I had a book, <laughs> then I could just say, look, read the book. <laughs> so I wrote the book. And, of course, my job is just so bananas busy, you know, just out of control, seven-day-a-week, work, 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 you know, and lucky I love it. Um, and I knew that there was no way I was going to be doing this in the evenings or, you know, a little bit here and there on weekends. So I just took Rob and I, my husband, we went off to Bali because he's nice. a surfer and I knew he'd have to be kept occupied while I was writing. And um, I just locked myself up, uh, you know, for, for four weeks and wrote 10 hours a day. God. Just smashed out 50,000 words. And then I went back and I gave it to the publishers and they said, hmm, that's great. Now put yourself in it. So then I went away and I did some more stuff about, you know, how I felt and what my experiences were and everything else. And then I gave it to them and they said, that's great, now go and put other people in it. <laughs> so it was great because a lot of people write to me, so I was mm-hmm. able to get in touch with them and say, would you mind very much if I used that in the book? And um, so that's how it came about. And in the end we didn't have to change it very much, which was great because mm. I didn't have time. <laughs> And what what I really love is when people say, this has just transformed mm-hmm. my health and my life. Um, and I really believe that when we start to talk about food, not in regards to weight and obesity, because actually the diet, mental health connection, is quite independent of body weight. It's not about body weight. Mm-hmm. It's about diet quality and what our brain needs, what our gut needs. Um, and when we start talking about mental and brain health, something that affects you today, mm. that has much more impact on people's behaviour. Yeah. And particularly when they're thinking about their children and how they can make sure that their children are in the best, they have the best start so that they are more resilient to the other stresses that we know are going to yeah. come. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly with all of the pressures that young people are under at the moment, whether that's mm. oh. uh, school stress or yeah. just social, social stress. stress. Yeah. 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 Awful. All right, so that's an introduction for you guys. And um, I'm going to start with the questions that you have already sent in. Um, but if you have any others that we don't cover, then do try and pop up. I guess maybe we'll keep it because it's been a long three days. So maybe we'll do a shorter session today, half an hour. And if there's anything else, I'll see 
whether we can kind of get questions answered afterwards. So let's kick off with a couple of you sent in a question that were quite similar. So what is the one food we should be eating for good mood that most people miss out? And similarly, if I made one change to my diet to help my mood, what do you advise it to be? Well, the first one, if you're just going to pick one thing out of all of the things that you could, you know, pick, I would say beans. <laughs> Eat more beans, everybody. I've got a friend who called me Professor Beans because I just love beans. So by beans, I mean legumes. So that's, you know, chickpeas, lentils, different sorts of beans, peas. Mm-hmm. These are all beans. Yeah. And I like to think of it as peasant food because the thing about beans is they're super cheap and they're super easy. Mm-hmm. So you can either... Um, Buy a pack for, you know, almost nothing of dried beans. Just soak them in the fridge overnight, some water, and cook them up, and then you've got them to add to meals. Or just even easier, just get a tin of lentils or whatever, mm. chickpeas, and I just add them to my salad. I add them to, if you're making a stag bowl or something like that, add them in. Because what they have is they've got protein. Um, they're low in fat, but they've got lots of fibre. And if we're trying to hit that 30 grams a day of fiber, that mm. is actually harder than you think. And I find that I've, it, it's mm. almost impossible for me to get the, to 30 grams a day without eating beans. Mm-hmm. So I would probably go for beans as the one thing. Um, but to change something about your diet, for uh, we really focus on gut health because the gut is central to your mental and brain health and your physical health based on what we know so far. Yeah. And the key thing that your gut needs and your gut microbiota is fibre. Yep. So that comes in beans. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's, um, it comes in other sorts of uh, fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and those sorts of things. But and we had Professor thing, Whelan this morning telling us yes, about all of the all research. All the on... different fibres. But also Tim Spector yesterday saying that the, the one thing that you could do is to increase your diversity that 30 different types of plant foods a week are associated with uh, really good high diversity of your gut microbiome. Diverse gut seems to be a healthy gut. Mm -hmm. Now, people think, oh, goodness, you know, 30 different types of plant foods. But that's actually, you know, different sorts of vegetables, um, fruit, it's like nuts and seeds, it's different sorts of whole grain cereals, Mm -hmm. it's like brown rice and oats and rye and things like that. It's, yeah, your legumes. It's actually mm. quite easy if you start thinking about, okay, how many different sorts of things can I get into yeah, this meal? I, I tend to use mixes as a shortcut. So in my porridge, I'll use a mix of oat, rye, barley, yes. and wheat flakes. I do the same thing. Yeah, I love it. It's like, yeah, there's four. Um, <laughs> Chuck some nuts and seeds on top and then a few blueberries. And or you're basically there. Yeah. You, you, you can just, do the, seed, yeah. the same with a seed mix. Yeah. And then a handful of mixed nuts, and then you've got it's probably about 15. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's actually not that hard once you start, you know, just being a little bit clever about it. Yeah. <laughs> but diversity is great. A diverse plant food means diverse microbiome, which is associated with good health. Perfect. Um, and not to jump in and on your parade, but we heard a lot of research today. A lot of I've sat in a lot of sessions about omega threes. Oh yeah. Um, I sat in Alex Richardson's session. We talk. There's lots of stuff around psychosis, and I think that's going to be the next. Well, it's a it's a big area of research, isn't it? About making sure because those fats are so essential to the membrane of the brain cell, making sure you're getting Absolutely. enough of it's those. It's really really important. So I always make sure I have fish two or three times a week. 
I have sardines, love sardines, of course, oily fish. Mm-hmm. You can get them in olive oil, put them on your sourdough toast. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, of course, salmon, you can have mackerel, you can have tin fish, fine and cheap, good. Mm. Uh, but just getting that those fish oils into you, much better than taking it in a capsule because when you take fish oil in a capsule, the chances are it's been oxidised mm. because it's been sitting around on a shelf, it's been exposed to light or heat. And that, that will actually be not good for you. So um, mm. much better to get it from fish and from food. And for vegetarians, it's actually quite challenging because mm. you can uh, the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids only really come from animal foods, mainly seafood. But um, a lot of vegans will eat um, uh, mussels and oysters because they don't have a central nervous system. Oh. Mm, so they can't feel pain. So there's no, the ethical thing's not there. Uh, and um, honestly, oysters just have a stack of uh, oh, really? yeah, the long chain omega-3s. But there are also now starting to be supplements based on algae. Mm-hmm. I suspect that for vegetarians, their microbiome probably uh, adapts to uh, get the most out of those short chain omega-3 fatty mm-hmm. acids and turn them into the long chain. We don't know if that's true, though. That's okay. just a guess. But if you're going, if you're a vegetarian and you don't want to eat oysters, um, then those algae seafood supplements are probably your best bet. Perfect. Mm. All right. Okay. What is that? Oh, what if someone has an allergy to fish? So we just answered that question. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. So we had a few questions on macronutrients, and again, some of those uh, overlapped. And I guess this these seem to come out of a lot of the more general discussion about specialists or extreme diet so mm. paleo ketogenic so these two questions that are quite similar can eating a high fat low carb diet help with anxiety and mood and then the second one was carbohydrates can can the brain stand a chance <laughs> of functioning well on a diet low in carbs so uh, contrary to what the uh, diet gurus and particularly in the US and the weightlifters and the bodybuilders and the crossfitters and everything would have you believe there is no evidence that a high-fat, low-carb diet can help with anxiety and mood. Okay. That's not to say that it's not worth investigating. So we're doing, for example, we're just about to trial a modified ketogenic diet so that optimises plant forms of protein and fat as much as possible rather than animal forms in patients with psychosis because mm-hmm. there's some evidence that psychosis, you've got problems with glucose regulation in the brain. Um, and it might be a bit like epilepsy where mm. it has an effect. But there's only been a, a handful of case studies there, mm. and we don't know whether it's because people have taken out something that they're actually allergic, allergic to, to. Uh, or if it's actually ketosis itself. So we need research to actually test this, and that's why we're doing that research. We're also looking at the impact on the, of uh, a ketogenic diet or low-carb diets on the gut in great detail. Mm-hmm. And we know from existing evidence that um, high-fat diets are really bad for the gut, low-fiber diets are really bad for the gut, um, almost impossible to get your high degree of fiber. And um, uh, with a ketogenic diet, although there's a couple of people who are doing these eco-ketogenic diets uh, online, okay. um, I can't I've remember the name of the woman. There's a wonderful MD in the US who's okay. a um, vegetarian or vegan. Who, I will look that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, she's she's delightful on social media as okay. well. But I would say, why would you? Because it's a very extreme diet. A lot of people think they're in ketosis when they're not. Basically, just having a low carb diet. 
And all of the evidence tells us that, yes, you might drop a little bit more weight in the short term, but over, the say, 12 months or even a less amount of time, mm-hmm. you will not lose any more weight or keep it off any more than you will with a low-fat diet or some other form of a diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no actual benefit to weight loss uh, over time based on the research evidence. And um, we also know that very consistently low-carbohydrate diets are linked to early mortality. All right. (laughs) And when we're talking carbohydrates here, I think a lot of people don't understand that carbohydrates don't mean cakes and biscuits and Mm. donuts. Carbohydrates are in starchy vegetables, in whole grain cereals, Mm. in, in, um, you know, lentils and legumes, and and then they're also (laughs) in donuts and cakes and things. So you have to make a very clear distinction between those because Mm. we know with those ultra-processed foods, that if you give them to people, and this has been shown recently in very tightly controlled, randomised controlled trials, people will eat a lot more mm. than what they actually need. It's like they they bypass your off button yeah. and you just keep eating them and they have a direct negative effect on the brain, on the gut and everything else. So um, so one of the issues is just the hyperpalatability of those foods means that you eat more than is necessary. Yeah, and so it might be a, an, an issue of kind of excess energy intake as well. Do we know... Because I was, again, I was in on the sessions on um, bioenergetics and dysregulation of glucose in psychosis. But do we know what causes the original dysregulation in glucose in the brain? No. No, we don't. And that's really interesting in psychosis because what you have then, this is one of the reasons why people with uh, psychotic illnesses will die on average 20 years sooner than someone who doesn't have Mm. such an illness. Um, a, the antipsychotic medications mm-hmm. absolutely mess with your biome and that messes with your body weight. So people develop a lot of, they have a lot of weight mm. gain in a very short time. People with uh, severe mental disorders often obviously have poor health behaviours, mm-hmm. uh, but there are inbuilt errors in their glucose metabolism that seems to also predispose to metabolic disorders. And in fact, um, people in the years following a, a diagnosis and treatment for antipsychotic uh, illness, mm-hmm. they will die uh, much more rapidly than someone who doesn't have it, but it, it's not suicide. It's mm-hmm. actually like heart disease, heart disease and, and, and those sorts of mm-hmm. chronic diseases. But what uh, researchers who were here have shown um, is that if you, with the most simple support for diet and exercise programs, People with uh, a new diagnosis of psychosis going on to those antipsychotic medications, they can actually prevent nearly all of that happening. They just teach people how to cook basic yeah. foods and just go and buy stuff from the supermarket. We've shown it doesn't have to be expensive. Mm. Uh, and also just find an exercise that they enjoy doing and they can mitigate almost all of that weight gain and all that impact on their metabolic health. Which is incredible, really. Yeah, and it's like, why are we not doing this as standard? That's the question we're asking. Because we've known about weight loss. When I worked in in prisons and there was a lot of medication, alanzapine and clozapine and those quite strong um, atypical antipsychotics, and there was a kind of attitude of, well, you can be thin and crazy or fat and sane. It was just an awful, awful approach and I think you know people have reported to me that they were told that and actually what the research is showing (laughs) us now is that these things aren't necessarily um, automatic and actually people are given the right support when they're started on their medication we can mitigate some of the problems that come with. But you know what's really important 
if you have a severe psychiatric illness like that, you get um, like a neurodegeneration of the brain mm. over time. And they've shown that diet and exercise can help to mitigate that, so protect the brain so your brain doesn't suffer mm. as a result of the illness. So it's so critical that people have this support. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right. So the, I think there was one more question on macros, and it's the opposite direction. So do low-fat or very low-fat diets influence mood in any way? Um, there's not the research evidence to suggest that that's the case. So I think there's been a couple of very small studies, but not enough that we could hang our hat on. And this is getting back to that idea, that um, knowledge that this field of nutritional psychiatry is very new in relative terms. It's less than 10 years old, which yeah. in science, it's, it's, it's nothing. And we need to do a lot more uh, research um, and intervention studies, we need to look at short-term effects, long-term effects, different dietary strategies. Yeah. All of these things uh, need to be done. But nutrition science is really hellishly difficult to do. Because <laughs> good luck <laughs> measuring how people eat and what they eat and getting them to adhere to the diets and all of those things is very difficult. Yeah, we've got a, a message from Haley saying, I'd love to see this taught in schools. Prevention is better than cure. And I, I couldn't agree more. We're yeah. both in agreement on that. And, you know, a lot of what I do is trying to reach uh, policymakers and the general public and so that they people in the general public can push for this in their communities and mm. their schools. But you know what? It shouldn't be down to individuals to have to no. do this. You know, this is an issue. People shouldn't feel guilty because of what they have or haven't eaten or yes. have or haven't fed their family. We need to change the food environment because right now we have a situation where unhealthy diet is the leading cause of illness and death around the world. It's a massive impact on the environment and environmental health as well, mm -hmm. the industrialised food system. And um, we have unhealthy food is now the easiest to get. It's everywhere. Uh, it's the most heavily marketed. Mm. It's the cheapest. It's the most palatable and it's the most 
um, socially acceptable. Mm. So we need to turn that around so that healthy food is like that. And someone even suggested at the conference, I think it was Rupi from the Doctor's Kitchen, mm-hmm. that we should just give people <laughs> free food. <laughs> you know, and we had a fascinating um, plenary this morning mm-hmm. from someone who works in the, the business area mm-hmm. looking at how with this uh, vitality program where they reward people with actual mm-hmm. cashback rewards for paid healthy to eat vegetables. Yeah, yeah, I love that because that's the sort of thing that does change behaviour. But this should be a major policy issue mm. around the globe. But the problem is big food and big agriculture are much bigger than governments. Mm. So it's very difficult to push back. So it needs to come from both. It needs yeah. to come from the public asking for it and, and governments government. also trying to change things. So if any of you guys know any policymakers, <laughs> if you're related to any MPs. Send uh, them my book. <laughs> Someone has just asked, when is the next conference in 2020? Or where is the next conference in 2021? Oh, it looks like it's going to be in Vancouver. Vancouver in Canada, guys. So they have great ramen. Save your pennies <laughs> if you're in the UK. Um, we're heading to Canada. But do consider joining the ISNPR. We have students, we have clinicians, we have scientists. I mean, it's a very broad church. It doesn't cost very much to join. And then you can be part of the conversation. You can influence, you know, what we do and the the speakers that we have and all that sort of thing. Join the revolution, yeah. I think. <laughs> okay, so we had a couple of questions about uh, chrononutrition. And chrononutrition is the idea that the timing of our foods, so the spacing between meals or the timing during the day might have a different differential effect, either on, you know, a big section of it is around metabolic health. So do you metabolize food more efficiently at certain times of the day? But specific to mood... We have does time of day or meal frequency influence mood aside from getting hangry? Great question. We don't know because the research hasn't been done. So the whole time-restricted eating and intermittent fasting and all of those things is fascinating because a lot of the work in animals suggests that it might be really beneficial for certain things, but that research hasn't really been done very much yet in humans, although it's underway at the moment. Um, and it's very individual. Some people mm. will do really well with time-restricted eating and some people can do the 5-2 or whatever it is. Mm. Other people, like me, um, I just can't do it <laughs> and it doesn't suit me. So you've mm. got to find something that suits you. I think with the time-restricted eating um, and Rungan, you know, from the Feel Better Live More, he, he has mm-hmm. in his book, just try doing that 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So 7 o'clock in the evening. The kitchen is closed and then you can eat again at 7 in the morning because on the most basic level, what you're doing is you're, you're giving yourself a point where you stop eating in the evening and let's mm-hmm. face it, it's when we sit on the couch and keep going back to the fridge that we consume a great deal of our excess calories. But it also gives your gut a chance to uh, repair, gives your body and cells and everything a chance to repair. Um Dr. Sanchin or Professor Sanchin Panda, Mm -hmm. some podcasts of his around, he's amazing. So he's led all the research in this area and he talks about all the cellular processes and things that happen overnight. And if you eat in that time frame, it can just sort of muck your body up. It thinks, oh, it's actually not nighttime, it's lunchtime Mm -hmm. and it gets confused. Because food is, as well as light, food is one of the big entrainers of our circadian Mm -hmm. rhythm, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So there's a big question now which is still going on in the research as to is there an optimum time? Should we be eating in in smaller windows or whatever? But, yeah, waiting for the... Because a lot of, I think, is pandas work is mostly preclinical, isn't it? Most of it is in animals, yeah. So, so the, the results in animals are extraordinary. When I read them, I was like, well, 
But, you know, humans are a lot more messy Very, than very complicated. Mm. Um, and the last question we had here was why... <laughs> Which is, is about, I guess it's just about hunger. Why do I get so irritated when I'm hungry? And yet, after I eat, I'm as sweet as a puppy. <laughs> Such a good question. I'm the same. Um, <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, if you just look at the animal research, there's the, and Professor Margaret Morris presented in her plenary mm, this morning, but in brilliant. animal studies, you give junk food to animals, particularly things like sweets and biscuits and stuff like that, it actually does calm them down. But more recently, there's been um, a big, I think, meta-analysis of studies that have looked at this in humans and they don't find that it comforts you. Mm. So uh, the evidence is not very clear for this idea of comfort foods. Mm -hmm. But certainly being hungry really sucks. (laughs) Why would you? No wonder you're irritable. I hate being hungry. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think it's one of the things about um, understanding that your brain needs a lot of energy it's really it's quite a hungry it's your hungriest organ so it's very small in terms of your overall body weight Mm. but it uses up a fifth maybe a quarter of your energy requirements when your body's at rest and so you're it's very sensitive to drops in energy so um for some people that is going to well it's for everybody it creates a stress response and it's kind of how you respond to that stress response when I get hungry I I power down yeah (laughs) I'm kind of like a robot that (laughs) and I just I just get quite quiet. Um, so I'm not a hangry person. I'm just a kind of yeah, I'm yeah, functioning on, on yeah, low yeah. levels person. But the research hasn't really been done to mm. understand that. What I did learn recently that I thought was fascinating was that when you are in the process of losing weight, so when you've got a negative energy balance and your body is using up stored fat, your cortisol goes up. Mm. And I remember a few years ago I went on one of these low-carbohydrate diets because I really wanted to lose uh, some weight. And I did lose weight, but I felt awful. And I felt like I was a bit wired and I couldn't sleep and I was really – and so now that makes sense, knowing that about the cortisol, Mm. that makes all sort of sense. And, of course, I just put all the weight back on again because that's Mm. what happens when you lose a whole lot of weight. Uh, Unless you make just these fundamental habitual changes to your diet – Oh, in your lifestyle, um, you know, diet's a bad idea, really bad idea. But um, I do find that not eating when I'm not hungry, you know, like mm-hmm. thinking do I actually need to eat or am I just bored, anxious, tired, whatever, trying to eat less, especially as I'm, you know, I'm middle-aged now, postmenopause, all those things, I just don't need that much food. Even when I do a 5K run in the morning, it's not enough because I then go and sit in an office all day working on a computer. Mm-hmm. I just don't need that much food at this age with my metabolism. Mm-hmm. So I would tend to try and just have two meals a day, lunch mm-hmm. and dinner, afternoon snack, nuts and fruit. Um, and that's what I do to try and keep my weight and, and to exercise and walk as much as I can. But obviously younger people need more food. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those were the questions that I had, and where are we? Oh, we're about half half an hour in, so maybe I will just say thank you very much for giving me your time at the end of a very very busy conference. Thank you guys for joining us. I will try. I've got. I know I've got a backlog of uh, podcasts and book clubs to update and edit for you and get them uploaded. Um, Now that my book edits are in. I should be able to do that. So I'm sorry that you've had to wait for those. But I hope you found that useful. Thank you very much Thank you much for again. reading my book. Really hope it's helpful and useful to you. Perfect. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.